0: So I went to theological college in the UK, and it was universally acknowledged that gossip was not a good thing. You shouldn't be gossiping about one another, about other people. But there was this way to turn the most cruel, cutting, biting statement into a kindness. And you could say, he is just a useless idiot, bless him. Oh, that is an ugly child. Bless her. (laughs) And then it was a really nice thing to say. And sometimes we hear the Beatitudes, and we sort of hear them in this light. Well, they're poor, they're mourning, they're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Bless them. You know, it's a sort of consolation prize. Too bad for them, but that's just the way it is, and probably God will bring something good out of it at some point. But if you read these in Greek, that is not what it says at all. So blessed, our translation, is the word makarioi. And makarios is not something you say about someone who is in some abominable state. Makarios means fortunate are you. Apex of human achievement do you have, like as good as it gets are you. Makarioi is how you would address the emperor. It's how you would address a Greek god, This is not like, well, you may be mourning now, but maybe you'll get over it at some point, you know, buck up. Makarioi is like, congratulations, amazing. So why would Jesus say to those who mourn, to those who are poor in spirit, to those who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, Makarioi, congratulations. Oh, great fortunate one, you've reached the apex of achievement seems completely crazy to us. If you read the writers of the early church, they have a very reasonable explanation. They would say that these are not about states in which people find themselves. These are ways of life. So to be poor in spirit is not to be someone with a zero bank balance or a zero spiritual bank balance, whatever that means. Is not having a poor prayer life, It's not being downcast or depressed. To be poor in spirit, says St. John Chrysostom, is to have conquered the demon of pride. So all of us, well, I shouldn't say all of us, me, some of us in this room probably, live their lives thinking primarily of themselves, their families, their friends. It's kind of all about us. So there's like the hero of my story, and then there are some like, supporting actors, and then there are a bunch of extras, basically. But I, I'm really the focus. The camera's on me all the time. I'm ready for my close-up 24-7. And in this way of thinking, I'm really the center of my universe. And to be poor in spirit is to actually dethrone myself and put God back at the center of the universe. It is to see everyone as a brother and sister, It is to see everyone as a central character in the story. It is to take my own judgments of others, my own sense of superiority, my sense that I am the ultimate arbiter of good and bad taste, of good and bad politics, and to set that aside and to become poor in spirit, to embrace the spirit of humility and love. And if you could do that, blessed are you. You know, congratulations, that is as good as it gets. To mourn in this context, says John Chrysostom, this is not the human phenomenon where you lose someone you love and everything in the world is awful because they're absent. Everything that you might have enjoyed before becomes just another sign that this person who you care about most is gone. That is awful, but if you are in mourning, let me tell you, you, when you are reunited with the person you love, in front of the source of all peace and joy and light, you're gonna be a lot more than comforted. This is not about that. To be in mourning in this sense, is to be in mourning for the goodness of God being shown forth in humanity, the love of God being shown forth in humanity. It is in mourning for us no longer serving as the image and likeness of God. And so in this scenario, The world also has lost its savor. You go about not enjoying the things you might have enjoyed because they don't reflect the goodness of God, the love of God, the peace of God, the joy of God, the truth of God, and only those things that do become meaningful to you. The same is true for those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's not that they are oppressed, it's that they are single-mindedly focused on the reality of God, all those who are merciful, all those and Lord knows we need them now. The peacemakers, all of these are people who are focused on the reality of God all the time. So this is not the description of the downtrodden, of the wretched of the earth. This is the basic job description of a saint. So we often think about the saints as the VIPs of the church. They're the ones who wrote the famous books, built the big churches has nothing to do with sainthood. The saints are those who have put down the demon of pride. The saints are those who go about giving mercy to all. The saints are those who go about making peace between the others. Sainthood is those who are living this Macarioi life. And we might say, all right, fair enough, sounds good has almost nothing to do with the way that I live my life, so what is really the point of this? So the saints had this special key to getting to this makarioi life, this life of blessedness. They all use this same little technique, this little trick, and with this little technique, all of this becomes actually second nature. And this little technique, called gratitude. It is thankfulness to God. And so when you are filled with gratitude to say like, I am the center of the universe, I am the judge of all people, it just doesn't make any sense. Like God who is giving me life and breath and joy and all that I am and all that I have, obviously the center of the universe. When I am living in constant gratitude, the accolades of the world, Petty things I've accomplished, getting more stuff, all this seems kind of pointless. And I'm like a mourner who finds no savor in the things of the world unless they tell me more about God's truth, God's beauty, God's love, God's joy. For all of these, it is thankfulness. It's gratitude that gets us there. So how do you get that? Well, it's great to pray before meals, it's great to have a time of prayer every day. It's great to constantly try and be aware of God's presence and God's goodness and God's love, but it's very challenging. And if you were like me, your mind wanders a lot, you forget a lot, and you go about your business. So one thing that I do to maintain my gratitude, I take a percentage of all my income and I pledge it to the church every year. I take a percentage of all my power in the world that I have to control other things, to exert my will, and I give it up. I give it over to God. And every month when I'm paying my pledge, I think this could be the monthly payment on a BMW. But instead of a BMW, I would rather just give this up. I would rather put God first in all things. I would rather know where my priorities lie and live out my gratitude not just in my thoughts, but actually in my life. And when I do this, it actually starts to make my gratitude more real to myself, a more real part of my life, a more real part of who I am. And then it starts to actually affect my thoughts, my actions, but it's a struggle. I don't want to give up my power. I don't want to give up the possibility of having a BMW, but each month I prevail in that struggle and I give something over to God. Right now we are in the midst of our pledge season. You should have gotten your pledge card in the mail a couple of weeks ago. If you don't, there's some in the narthex. And it's a time to just pray about this, to think about this. But the question is not primarily how do we get enough money to do X, Y, and Z? The primary question is, how do I make my gratitude real to myself? What do I give up? What do I sacrifice to God that helps me to remember who is the center of the universe, to whom I belong, to whom I am grateful for all that I am and all that I have? And it's not, there's no one right, simple, easy answer. It's a question of prayer. How do I make that sacrifice? What do I give up? The amazing thing is, when I do this, it has these little sort of ripple effects. I'm thinking about my gratitude, but what happens is, every single year, all of us in this room rebuild this church that's been going since 1854. It's basically a new church every year because our pledges are what do everything that happens here. This place where children are formed by the love of God, where adults are transformed by the love of God, this place where thousands of people in 12-step meetings meet every week, this place where thousands of seniors in the Iona program meet every week and are fed and have activities, this place that donates hundreds of thousands to the mission of the church, be it schools in DC and in Africa and in the Middle East, be it the work of the diocese, the Episcopal Church, the Anglican Communion, your pledge does so much But the point is just that one thing, taking this little percentage of all that you are and all that you have, and by giving it away, remembering that everything you have is a gift from the one who loves you most. So I hope this week you'll join me in continuing to pray about your pledge, to think about your pledge. If you've already turned it in and you have some great road to Damascus epiphany, Feel free to just email Brian and say, like, I'm changing my pledge. Do whatever. Um, But remember, mostly it really is just about what is this number? What am I giving up that's going to give me the deepest sense of gratitude to God? Amen.